Good morning. Yeah, we're uh, here again this morning. Uh, we're still in John 8. <laughs> Seems like we've been in John 8 for a little while now. <laughs> and we got a little while to go. But uh, it's good. It's good. Uh, it's been a rough week. Uh, last Sunday we got to celebrate Easter. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a tough week. It's been a tough week for our community. Uh, it's been a tough week uh, for me personally. Uh, it's been a tough week uh, uh, for a lot of people I know personally. Uh, there's been a, a lot of death uh, that has seemed to surround our community and just uh, a lot of people I know. Um, here in the city, uh, we know we had a pretty horrific event uh, uh, that's sad and unfortunate. And... Uh, there's a lot of pain associated with that. And one thing I just want to remind you all uh, in this whole event uh, is to remember the family members tied to all sides of the situation involved with that. No matter where you sit with different things, remember there's family associated as well that are hurting as well, okay? And it's easy to kind of lean one way or another with different things. But there's, a, there's family tied to things that are hurting as well. And, and especially as parents, uh, you know, sometimes there's things that happen. And we don't know all circumstances. And we need to be in prayer for that as well and, and those associated with that. Um, I have a friend that uh, the other day I was on duty that I got a call and he had to call in sick. Um, because he, he called to inform me that he wasn't going to be able to be on shift the next day because he had to uh, take his mom off the vent, you know. And then I had a couple more calls with just different things. So it, it's just been a tough week. And, but that reminds me, as we're in the Word, that there's a greater and bigger hope out there. That, that that's not the end, you know, that there's a living hope. And, and we have that hope. And as believers, we know that's not the end. And yes, there's a sadness in death, but there's a hope and joy in life. And for some, there is a lostness. And we, as I preached a few weeks ago, we talked about that lostness and you have to make a decision and there's a definite choice, you know, that there's this decision of life and death and where you're going to stand when that judgment comes. And we're going to kind of talk about some of that today as we review uh, some of that. But uh, before I begin, uh, let us just pray uh, before we dive into the Word, and then uh, I'll go ahead and begin our sermon today on uh, John 8, 31 through 33. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you today and just lift up your name in praise and give all glory and worship to you, Lord. You deserve all honor that is rightfully declared of yourself, Lord. We just humbly and obediently submit ourselves to you. Lord, we just thank you for the precious gift of life that you've given us. Lord, we just pray for this city. We pray for those that uh, come before you. Uh, we pray for those believers and non-believers alike, Lord. We pray that uh, this might be the opportunity in which those that are unsaved, those that are looking for answers, those that 
need help, those that uh, don't know that this may be the means in which they can come and find answers, Lord, and, and are drawn to you, and that there are believers there that are willing to provide that support and guide and share the word and point them to you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the precious gift of grace that you continually bestow upon this world daily. Lord, we just thank you for the love you continue to give us. Lord, we thank you for the love of your word. We thank you for the guidance that you give us, the direction you give us. And as we study today and talk about your word today, Lord, we just ask that you open our hearts, Lord, that, that you let these words penetrate us, that you let the word seep into our bones, just let it flow through our veins, that it be just becomes the very essence and down to the core, Lord. You let it penetrate our very being, that we gain true wisdom and understanding Lord, many people ask, I would just wish I knew what God's will was for me, Lord. And that today we just begin to understand what your will is. And that's just so plainly speak, spoken through your word. Lord, we just thank you for the precious blood of Christ that's been poured out over us. We thank you for your love and caring grace. Through your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. As we've been discussing for the past couple months now, as we've walked through John 8, we've seen Jesus laying out and explaining who he is. Okay, through John 7 and 8. We've been going through the Tabernacle of Booths, the, the Feast of Booths, okay? And if we remember what the Feast of Booths was, remember this is in celebration or remembrance of the Exodus, of building these little huts, building these little shacks in celebration of seven days of living in the woods in these huts, of remembering that God's provided for them, okay? And along the way, in proclamation of the fulfillment of the promise of the Old Testament, that he was always providing for them. Okay, no matter what happened, God was a promise keeper. The very demonstration and purpose of this remembrance of the Feast of Booths and the intricate of the ceremonies and everything that went along with it. Remember, we talked about up until the collecting of the sticks that were happening, up to the water festival. Remember, he gave, he was the living water and when he gave that speech on the temple steps, the last day of the water ceremony, the pouring of the water, the taking up the water from Jacob's well, what that represented, and when he gave that speech of I'm the living water, up until Pastor Clay's last uh, thing about him being the light of the world, and where he was going, and they could not come, they will seek, and they will not find him. He witnessed to himself he claimed to be the very authority. 
he stated he had the authority. Him and God as his father were witness. So not only he didn't even have to have a second witness, right? He claimed him as God, him having authority was all that was needed. But if you needed a second witness, his father, God, was the other witness. And then at that point, they wanted to arrest him. And what happened? They couldn't arrest him. They don't tell you how they couldn't arrest him. It just says they couldn't arrest him. It says they have tried to arrest him and have failed. And then the next sentence, they have continually failed to fully understand who he was. And then we're going to pick up here in verse 25. And so they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declared to the world that I have heard from him. Who is he talking about? God, right? I have heard from him. God. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, so he's making it clear, right? You don't understand, I'm making it clear. I'm laying it out. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And then we pick up in verse 8, 31 through 33. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And so it is here we will begin today's sermon. However, I have to let you know ahead of time that there is a lot more to today's sermon that will be left unfinished or unsaid. There will be inferences and conclusions that will be drawn out in next week's sermon by Pastor Clay. Because if you look at your scripture, if you look at your Bible, where we are leaving off in 33, you'll see 34 through 38 is the next section. Okay, So this is just the introduction that's going to go into 35 through 38. Okay, But it's important here that we go into this because there's a lot to unpack that's going to lead you into that, and we have to understand. And there's a reason, a very specific reason, that these three verses are very important to the rest of John 8. Okay? If not, in my understanding, in my thought, these here, uh, in studying, and especially yesterday, uh, as I just sat down and reviewed some more and some more, just impacted me more. Uh, and, and I think these are probably uh, some of the most important verses of the Bible for the believer. I think the, if there were three verses I would tell you to highlight in your Bible, these would be three verses I would definitely tell you to highlight, dog ear your Bible, draw arrows to it for the believer 
These are three verses that you need to highlight, remember, uh, and really take note of and really meditate. And, and so this week, I'm going to ask you to really meditate on these verses and to think about that. And, and I think as we walk through these, you'll kind of see why. And, and, and think about where you are in these three verses and where you fit within these three verses. Okay, so let's look at these at each of these three verses, because each of these verses makes their own points. And I know traditionally when, when you hear a sermon, you know, there's usually three points each person tries to bring out. Three to five points is usually what a pastor tries to pull out of a sermon and preach on. And what's nice about these three is each one brings its own point, and, and I think they're there. So let's look at each one. So verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So first, who are the Jews that believed in him? Well, these are all the Jews that are sitting outside the treasury of the temple, right? From verses set from chapter 7 and 8, who he's been preaching to during the Feast of the Tabernacles. One, so there's Pharisees in there. There's other Jews there. They've tried to arrest him. They're asking him, who are you? He's just stopped. We've just read verses 25 through 30 where he has just sat there and explained exactly who he is. Who has he just claimed to be? The Son of Man, the Son of God. He has just claimed that he has come from heaven, sat beside the Father, saying exactly what the Father has told him to say and do. Is there any confusion who he is saying he is or where he's coming from? He is saying he is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of Isaiah 51. There's no doubt. He is the prophet. He is the king. He is the answer. He is the heir of David. He comes from that bloodline. Everything the Old Testament is pointing to, he is it. There's no confusion. He has just stated that in verses 25 through 30. So these that are saying they believe, they believe. So who are these people? Well, it's a bunch of people. It is the world today. Who are the people at the Feast of the Tabernacle? It's the world. It's made up of a bunch of different people. Yes, there's Pharisees there. But there's also the common Jew. There's people following Jesus. There's people that came just to see Jesus. They hear Jesus preaching. Jesus is going to be there. We've heard Jesus doing miracles. So what, why'd they come? They wanted to see this miracle worker. They wanted to see Jesus heal somebody. They wanted to see this guy, Jesus, that's turned water into wine. They wanted to see Jesus make somebody well that was sick. There's people that wanted to hear this great teacher. Remember, Jesus had crowds following him. Remember, he had to cross the sea to get away from these large crowds, and they followed him. This is six months prior to he's going to be crucified. So you got all sorts of people, right? You've got people there that are wanting probing questions. You've got people probing him. We just saw 
They're asking him these questions. Who are you? We want clarification. We want to believe, but we're not sure. So you got people asking him questions. You got some people that are on the fence. I want to believe, but I'm not sure. I want to believe, I'm not sure. How do we really know? Is this really him? I'm not quite sure. This isn't really what I thought was going to happen. That's not what this Pharisee said. That's not what this pastor said. That's not what this rabbi said. He's not really fitting who I thought he was. I thought he was going to come on this big white horse and there's going to be this crowd of people. It's going to be like Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. He was going to be this great big thing. It was going to be like Aladdin. He was going to come in on an elephant. and That's who I thought the Messiah was going to be. And then you got the person that was just, man, I just want all my sorrows to go away. You know? You got all sorts of people, all sorts of people there. You got people that are just looking for answers. You got people that are just looking for answers. I just want somebody to get me under the, out from the oppression of the Romans. I want, to, I want to live like it was when the Israelites ruled Israel. I want everything to be hunky-dory. We have this thing that in Israel... Where the Jews would sit there and think that <clears throat> when everything was right, everybody would just live in utopia. So you've got all sorts of different people. There, everybody has their own hopes and dreams and thinking, maybe this is the guy that will do it. Some people are just curious. Is this him? What's he look like? Does he have a beard? Does he not have a beard? Is he short? Is he tall? Who is this guy? Some people just want to go there so they can go to their neighbor. Hey, I saw him. He's a celebrity. I saw him. Look, I got his autograph. We've seen it. That's the world today, right? We've got all sorts of people that just chase and think different things. All sorts of people today chase all sorts of false prophets, teachers, and ideologies wanting to fit some sort of norm or reason to fill some sort of emptiness in their hearts. It's no different today than it was then. It's no different. They were doing the same thing. So when you see this, some believed. We had some of those that believed. He's saying the right things. I believe, I believe what he's saying. How do we know this? They want personal fulfillment. They were tired of feeling weak. They didn't want to be fearful anymore. They wanted more out of life. Right? Some believe today that life as a Christian is going to be easy. Hey, if I believe in Christ, life's going to be easy. How many people think life's going to be easy as a Christian? Right? But let's be honest. Do we, po do we post that on social media? You know? We, we live our best life on social media. People think that that's going to be the life. And so sometimes we can offer this false hope that's out there. So then when things get tough, and we'll talk about that later, they fall away. But see... What these believers are is just that. And we're going to see more of that next week when Pastor Clay drops 
goes into this because we're going to see as we go on that some of these believers aren't actually believers. They're believing in this idea of who Jesus is or who they think he is, but they're not true believers. And we know that because he answers, right, if you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, so there's a catch, right? There's something you have to do. You are truly my disciples. So you might believe, but if you truly believe, then there's something you have to do. So, but how do we know that this is true? Well, many will claim to be believers, and many will claim to know Jesus. Well, this is talked about in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Just because they say they believe didn't mean they were believers. Even Satan believes in Jesus. Even Satan believes in Jesus. See, it, it, it takes a little bit more than just belief. Okay? The knowledge is one thing, but it's the acting on the knowledge. And I don't mean righteous, works but righteousness. We see this in Matthew 13, right? The parable of the sower. If we go to Matthew 13, 18 through 23... Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what he has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when the tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for the one sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields it in one case a hundredfold, and in another sixty, and in another thirty. So it's not just merely just belief. I can believe the things I'm hearing, right? But do I truly believe the things I'm hearing? Because what ends up happening is I can believe, but then when things start to get tough, I can give way. That this is what this is saying here. 
When things get tough, people will sway or give away to their beliefs. They will fail. They will give up. They will throw in the towel. They will fall into their bad habits, or they'll just say, screw it. It's too tough. I don't want to do it. Remember, that's the parable of the young ruler, of the rich young ruler. What did we learn there? I have kept all these commandments. What else must I do? Verse 21. If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. The cost was too high. It was too much. I believed up until that point. It was all good until that point. It's just too much effort. It's just too much effort. I was good. Some might say they'll be looked at differently. Some will say they just can't give up certain things. It's just not worth it to them. The cost is too great. The world has too tight a grip. They're half-hearted. They're half-faced. They give into the world, the flesh, and the devil. They believe to a point, and then they're done. They're done. Some are told they believed in him, but what is this belief? Well, it is this. And there's a clarifying statement by Christ. If, if, so there's a chance, right? If, clarifying word, if you, right? Personal responsibility, you. Is there anybody else? No, you. There's a personal responsibility. If you abide, have to do it. Abiding, right? Obedience, Abide. You have to do something. You have to be obedient. In my word. In what? Whose word? His word. Anybody else's? In the world? In the flesh? In the devil? No. In his word. No one else's. You have to abide in my word. You have to submit to me. Nobody else. There's no other clarification. There's no other clarifying statement there. You have to abide in my word. Then you are truly my disciples. Think about that. Think about verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word... Now, who are the Jews supposed to be? They're supposed to be the chosen people of God. You are truly my disciples. Remember this. Who are the Jews supposed to be? They're supposed to be the chosen people of God, right? That's who they believe they are. This is going to take us right into verse 33 here shortly. If you're supposed to be the chosen people of God, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciple. So if you truly believe, you're going to go to my word and you're going to do exactly as my word says and you're going to listen to me. Nobody else. 
how do we know this? Well, when we look at 2 Corinthians 13.5, test yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Well, what's the test? Are you abiding by the word of God? So this is the proof. How do we know we are truly disciples? That's the question. How do we know, as believers, we are true disciples of the word? That we are true disciples of Jesus? If this is the criteria, if you abide in my word, are you truly my disciples? You are truly my disciples. Well, how do we know? Right? That's always the question. How do I know I'm a believer? How do I know I'm a disciple? How do I know if I'm saved? Well, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. This is the proof. One, we submit to the word of God. We abide in his word. We submit to God. We submit to Jesus. We submit to the spirit. We are obedient. Questions? Not hard, is it? It's clear as day. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. It doesn't mean we have to be perfect, but it does mean this. One, we will be in his word, right? If you're obedient, if you abide in my word, what does that mean, though? Well, in order to be obedient to his word, we have to be in his word, right? I can't know his word. I can't be obedient to it if I'm not in it. So I have to be in his word. Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the, every word that comes from the mouth of God. How do we know it's from the mouth of God? Because it's in his word, right? We go to 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This is God's word. It is breathed out by God. God. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. What does it mean by keep it? Are obedient to it. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God, and keep it or are obedient to it. We have to be obedient to the word of God. How do I know if I'm being obedient to the word of God? Now, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, lays out a whole lot of stuff, right? Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, Brotherly affection and love. Romans 7. Everybody turn to Romans 7. 14 through 
For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold on the sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it, it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that it is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I not the ability to carry it out, for I do, do not do the good I want, but the evil I do, do not want. It is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be the law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of the sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul struggles with the body with the battle of the flesh, the world, and the devil, but finds refuge in Christ and obedience to the word. Paul struggles like we struggle. The greatest disciple. Struggles. I do not get it. I, he, he's sitting here being honest. He's pouring out his heart saying, I'm struggling with these very things. The things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I can't do. And I don't get it. God, help me. But I find my answer in Christ. And I know the only answer is Christ when you return. But when I struggle, I will go to the Word and I will be obedient. What else can you do when a man is sitting there stricken, beaten, facing death, is starving, and continually pushes on for the word of God? That's obedience. How do you know? You suffer for Christ. You're obedient. How do you know? Look around this room, brothers and sisters. I'm serious. Look around this room, brothers and sisters. You want to know if you're obedient to the word of God? It's us. We hold each other accountable. We have to be honest with each other. That is a church. That is a duty of the church. It's called accountability. That is called church discipline. That's calling to honest accountability. When we see a brother or sister stumble, we go running to them. And we say, hey, I see a marking that does not look like it's following in obedience or in accord with the word. And we help them through it. That is the nature and body of the church. That is the purpose of the church. So, what do we do? We endure and we persevere. 
Because when you're called, John 10, 27 through 39, you cannot be snatched from the hand of God. Those he calls will have eternal life. John 3, 36, John 5, 24, John 6, 47. There's no condemnation for those in Christ, Romans 8, 1. Those who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. We have Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Hebrews 12 is all, or Hebrews is just all about endurance and perseverance. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured for, from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And of course, Matthew 24, 13. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So you want to know who a true disciple is? It's one who is obedient, who is in the word, and endures, who perseveres to the end. That's a true disciple. Well, then we go on to verse 32. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, the second part, or sermon title, right? Belief, we've talked about that, and true discipleship. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And what's funny is, is this, and this just came to me, that this verse gets so overused in so many different movies and sayings. You know, the truth shall set you free. And you hear in so many colleges and conversations and different things. What is truth? What is truth? Your truth is different from my truth. Well, there can only be one truth. Sorry, truth is truth. You know, there's only reality. And, and real is real and fake is fake. And there's only going to be one truth. And the, 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 the answer's here, and that's what we're going to see here, right? So truth, this, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So freedom from chasing all empty promises of the world, the flesh and the devil, 
which was mentioned earlier. Okay? This freedom, this setting the th- free, once you know the truth by reading the word, this freedom is going to be this freedom from the bondage of the sin. Th- this freedom from chasing these empty promises that these other people that have this short-term belief, that these empty promises, this, oh, this feels good right now until the testing comes. And when you're tested and you come out on the other end, staying obedient, staying in the word, that freedom of, hey, I'm in the word. I'm not feeling the pressures of chasing false truths. This freedom from looking for answers in the wrong places. Or not finding it in one place and going to another place and not finding it there and then going to the next place and not finding it there. It, it, it was kind of funny. I sat there and I uh, uh, was watching one of these like little short video things on Facebook and I was listening to a kid give his valedictorian speech. And he talked about how disappointed he was. That for four years he worked so hard He gave up all these things. He gave up going to football games. He gave up going to different extracurricular activities and different things because he was studying, studying, studying. He wanted to be the valedictorian. He worked so hard to do it. And then he's sitting in class, and they were announcing it, and he was so tense until they announced it, and he got it. And then it was over. And that was it. And he's up there giving his speech, and he's talking about the cost wasn't worth it. That at that point, for that one second of being titled valedictorian, he realized everything he gave up for that one title. For him, the cost wasn't worth it. He was chasing this one thing, and it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. And he wasn't sure what he was thinking it was going to be. But it was this deflated thing. He had built it up so high, it wasn't there. It wasn't there. See, the benefit of true discipleship, of true faith and belief, is that you will know the truth. John 16, 13 through 14, the spirit is truth. John 17, 17, scripture is truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So what is this freedom? It's freedom from our burdens. Every other year, I try to read a specific book. It's one of my favorite books. Okay? It's Pilgrim's Progress. Has anybody read Pilgrim's Progress? Okay? You have to read this book. I encourage you to read this book. Now, if you read John Bunyan's version, it's Old English. takes a while to get used to, but I would encourage you to read it in the Old English. Okay? They have a modern text, might be a little bit easier to read, but I kind of like the language of uh, the old English. I think you kind of get a lot out of it. But man, it fits this sermon so well, so well. Uh, if you don't like to read or, or, or you don't have time to read, at least get it on audio, okay? Please read this book, okay? For so long, it was the second most sold book in the world compared to the Bible. 
So the Bible was number one, and then Pilgrim's Progress. Okay? But in this book, okay, there's a character called Christian. So it's a two-part book. you got Christ, two main characters, Christian and Christina. Christian is the husband. Christina is the wife. So part one is about Christian. Part two is about Christina, his wife. So in part one, Christian, okay, it's about his pilgrimage and his walk through his faith. Okay? And it's a pilgrimage. Uh, and ever since this book, I always talk about pilgrimages and your journey uh, in your walk with Christ. And uh, it's just one of those books. I've got two big books that I read. Um, R.C. Sproul's Holiness of God and Pilgrim's Progress. and um, Just changed my life. But Christian carries a burden throughout this book. Okay, he carries this burden. It's just this huge burden. And if you look at all the acts, it's just this huge rucksack. That, I mean, it's just weighing him down. Everywhere he goes, it's weighing him down. But he carries this book. And the burden wasn't there until he opens this book. And what do you think this book is? It's the Word of God. And he starts reading it and he realizes it's the truth. And when he opens the book and he starts reading it, he sees. So he reads truth and he looks out in the world and he goes, and he sees the lie. He sees the lie. And he's humbled. And he feels this burden. And all he wants to do is get rid of this burden and he doesn't know what to do. And it's crushing him. And so it's his journey to get rid of this burden. And he meets all these characters along his path. And it fits perfectly with verse 31. Because he fits in this realm of this, of this person with belief. And this very statement with verse 31. And if you, if you read the prologue to this book, Pilgrim's Progress is written by John Bunyan when he's in prison. So Bunyan's in prison and writes this book. Okay? But it's his journey as he's going through. And so here's just this excerpt because... He has this belief, and he wants to believe, and he hasn't come to full belief. And he has this burden, these worldly burdens on him. But here's just an excerpt. At the top of the hill stood a cross, and a little below at the bottom was a stone tomb. In my dream, just as Christian came upon, and this is Bunyan talking in the prologue, just as Christian came to the cross, his burden loosened from his shoulders and fell off his back. It tumbled and continued to do so down the hill until it came to the mouth of the tomb where it fell inside and was seen no more. See, in Matthew 11, 28-30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, I will, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the world is a burden on people. 
The world will try to tell people otherwise, but this world is a burden on people. God's way is easy. It is easy. What does he require of you? To be in his word and to be obedient to him. To believe in his son. Not too hard. The world requires so much more. The world tries to tell you it's not hard, but it is. The world tries to confuse you and twist the thoughts and everything else of the world. It manipulates, its, manipulates. it tries its role reversal. Think about it. It's Satan's little game. Is it not? Did God really say? See, right now Satan gets to roam the earth and play his little games. And it's the same thing he did with Eve. Don't forget, we're still fighting in spiritual warfare. Don't let that ever go by. So how do we keep things straight? We stay in the word. Why? Because truth is truth. And we need to bend to the word. We don't bend the word to us. So let's look at verse 33. Abraham's descendants. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now I have to be honest uh, with you here for a second. It took me a little bit longer to understand this for a moment. Because I sat there and read this and went, okay, hold on. You've been enslaved people throughout the whole entire Old Testament. What are you saying here? Okay, uh, I just kind of wanted to sit here and go, what are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> okay, old joke, sorry, I might be showing my age. <laughs> but, but primarily because all throughout this, I mean, they've been lost people. I mean, they have just been enslaved one time after another. They've been conquered, and especially now, they're enslaved people, right? They're under bondage of the Romans, So in having to sit there and think and study a little bit more, I had this aha moment. As I read more and started sitting there thinking and read and kind of got, now I get it. What they're talking about here is that they're the select people of God. Remember I talked about in verse 31, right? In verse 31, what did I say? They're the Jews, right? They're the chosen people. That's what they're saying here. We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. We are the chosen people of God. We don't fall under everything else. We've already been hand-selected. So what do you mean we have to be free? God's already chosen us. See, they're not getting the connection that they're still a sinful generation. 
that they're still sinful people. Well, this is the same thing that happens in Judges and Kings and Chronicles. And throughout the Old Testament, it's like, hello, McFly. You're continually sinning, and God's continually calling you to correction. You continually break the covenant, and God's the only one that continually holds up to his end of the bargain when he doesn't have to. He's the one that continually is showing grace when he can continually just punish you and wipe you off the face of the earth and say, you broke the covenant. You know, they're saying, hey, we're the chosen ones. See, they don't think they are lost. They relied on that they always have on history, forgetting that they had to be obedient, but they've never been obedient. Try to find me one time in the Old Testament where they've been obedient. Heck, sit there and think about just in the very exodus themselves, just after they cross the Red Sea and Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, how long is it before they sit there and start worshiping a golden calf? Think about what they just witnessed. And not but days later, they're worshiping a golden calf. See, they had their laws and prophets and covenants. We belong to God because we came from Abraham. We don't need Jesus. But let's make one thing clear so we all understand. Jesus was a promise, or God was a promise keeper. This is why Jesus came to them first, because they were the chosen people of God. Think about that. Jesus went to them first because they were the chosen people of God. Where did Jesus come from? Who did Jesus go to? Who did Jesus appear to? Who did Jesus witness to? Who did Jesus try to call first? So at one point they were right. They were the chosen people of God. That's why he came to them first. See, this is the fulfillment, and you'll see this in Matthew 15, 24, and Romans 1, 16. But they thought their names would get them through the doors of heaven. See, this is the animosity the whole time between Jesus and some of the Jews. They didn't think they had anything or any reason they needed to be saved from. This is the very issue we face today with the world. Don't be surprised when the lost act's lost. The lost doesn't know they're lost. They have no reason for Jesus. Unless they have a reason for Jesus, they don't need him. They don't know they're lost. Remember, Jesus tells, he didn't come to save the righteous. So that brings us to the end. My, so what now? Well, to be a true disciple, we must what? Abide in his word. 
right? I told you these were the three most important verses. One, abide in his word. We must be obedient and bear fruit. So we must be, be in the word. We must be reading his word. We must be obedient to it. We can't be obedient to it if we're not in it. Two, we must be obedient to it and in fulfilling the Great Commission because the Great Commission says to go out, to spread the word, and teach others to be obedient to the word. Two, to be a true disciple, true discipleship will be evidence in us setting us free and knowing the truth. Three, remember who we're dealing with. That you have those out there that don't necessarily see that they need the word. They don't see a reason why. And so that's part of our Great Commission call, is to show them the reason and the faults of the world. <clears throat> Ephesians, so I want to leave us with a couple verses. Ephesians 4.14 so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Make sure you're in your word. And I'll close you with this. 1 John 2, 18 through 25. Children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If you heard from the beginning, abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. Let the word abide in you, and you abide in the word. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the precious gift of your word, Lord. We just pray that it penetrates our soul, Lord, that... You give us the strength and courage to abide in your word, Lord. Give us the desire and passion daily to be in your word. Give us the focus and the opportunity to, pri to prioritize your word. Lord, to take the time out to study your word, to meditate on your word. Lord, let us just hear your voice. Let us just give thanks 
for the availability of your word, the opportunity to read your word, to be able to do it without fear, uh, to be able to do it without hiding, Lord, uh, without having to do it in secret. What an opportunity, Lord. Let us just not take that with such a lighthearted manner. Lord, we pray for those around the world right now that may not necessarily have that opportunity, but uh, let us just lift them up in prayer uh, that they find strength and courage uh, to continue to go out and share the word with others, uh, to, to abide in your word under just duress and conflict and restrictions, Lord, under persecution, and let them know that there's brothers and sisters here that are just thinking and praying for them. Lord, give us the opportunity this week to go out and share your word. Lord, let us just lift up your churches uh, today uh, and, and let those churches grow, Lord. Let, let the churches and the people in those churches just grow in their faith. Let, let them grow strong and healthy to go out and share the word, to point to you. Lord, we just thank you for the love that you bestow on each and every one of us. Lord, it's through your son's name we pray. Amen.